Hey guys, it's Nathan. This is episode 53 of The Nathan Seawood Show. The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. This episode is brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They lead retreats in some of the most inspiring destinations in the world, Cape Town, Barcelona, Bali, just to name a few. I did uh, Medellin in Colombia with them last year, and it was everything I could have imagined. Beautiful apartment, great co-working space, incredible community, and you get to be a part of their global community that they've created, and lots of incredible local connections connections and experiences. Go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan and they're going to give you $100 off. So do yourself a favor, beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Back after a couple of weeks hiatus and coming to you from beautiful Costa Rica on the west coast of Costa Rica in the Guanacaste province. And I decided to record this outside because it's such a beautiful evening. And so you're going to hear some birds uh, you may hear the ocean in the background. We're just a little bit back from the ocean and lots of other sounds. Who knows what might come up? Uh, I hope you've had a great couple of weeks. I've uh, left New Zealand now, obviously, and traveled to Argentina and spent just over a week in Buenos Aires, which was incredible. Fell in love with that city. So much beautiful history, buildings, culture, people, and definitely one I'm going to uh, have to go back and spend a bit more time on. And then uh, the last three weeks I've been in Costa Rica, just getting settled in, getting used to uh, being out of New Zealand and into this new life, the travel life, which is uh, so far so good. I had a um, pretty intense experience with ayahuasca last week. Uh, did two ayahuasca ceremonies, which if you haven't heard of it, is a plant medicine from uh, the Amazon and been used by tribes there for a long time to cure physical ailments and also emotional and mental uh, ailments as well. So, yeah, did two ceremonies. It's very intense. It's kind of psychedelic. It makes you purge a lot, which is a nice way to say uh, vomit and (laughs) uh, have stuff coming out of every orifice. But it was a very intense experience. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to my Facebook page, facebook.com slash nathan.seawood. And I did two Facebook Lives straight afterwards, uh, just talking about the experience, answering people's questions. And it was very insightful. And, you know, the last couple of weeks have been a big transition. And, you know, it was a good chance to do a little bit of deep work uh, to kind of kick off this new phase of the year. So the theme I want to explore with you guys over the next couple of weeks is around love and connection. So, you know, my life is dedicated to helping you have an extraordinary life. And one of the key pillars of an extraordinary life is having a sense of love and a deeper sense of connection with the people that are most important to you. So I want to explore all those topics over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be doing some Facebook Lives around this as well. Uh, All the guests on for the next few weeks are going to be all uh, experts on the area of sex, love, relationship, connection, and we're just going to dive into it. So I'd love to hear from you. You know, what are your thoughts on sex, love, connection, relationship, marriage? Is marriage still relevant? Is monogamy still relevant? What do you think? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, Drop me a message or comment on any of the posts on Facebook. You know, we're going to really explore things like self-love and self-compassion and what does that mean? What does that mean to me? Uh, And, you know, what's really important? Just try and cut through some of the bullshit and figure out what are the things that are really important about love, finding true love, finding your soulmate and deepening the relationships that we already have with our family. I know for a lot of people that I talk to, their relationship with their parents and their family is either struggling or strained. And in a dream world, they'd love to have a deeper connection with their parents or their brothers and their sisters. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem possible. So we're going to explore that as well. My guest this week is the wonderful Monica Day. I met Monica in London uh, last year, and she is the author of the book Play Wild, Stay Safe. Uh, and she, she's a wild child herself. And, you know, when I met her, um, I love talking to Monica. She, you know, has so much knowledge about sex and relationships and masculine and feminine energy. And she's also a little bit intimidating. She's a little bit wild. She's a little bit unpredictable. And <laughs> I love that. And it scares me a little bit. So I was excited to get Monica on the show and just dive in to learn a little bit more about her 
and her expertise around sex, love, and relationships. We touch on a bunch of topics in this one. I think you're going to enjoy it. So enjoy this very personal conversation with the powerful Monica Day. Uh, what do we need to know about Monica? Like if we go back in time, you know, what are the, the turning points that kind of shape your story? Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Hmm. <laughs> well, I'll just start by saying that I live on the East Coast of the United States. That seems relevant. And the way I've often described it is that I'm an Italian Catholic Jew from Trenton, New Jersey, and that comes with a head roll. <laughs> so if you're from here, what you kind of know about that is, um, yeah, that it comes with a little bit of kind of a directness, a forthrightness and, you know, attitude that's kind of distinct to where I come from. Yeah, nice. So you grew up on the East Coast. I did. Yeah. I lived on, uh, I lived on the West Coast for about eight years, eight, 10. And then I came back here when I was pregnant with my first child. So I have two daughters. Mm-hmm. They're uh, 19 and 16. Awesome. Yeah. And what does it look like? So growing up on the East Coast, can you give us more of a flavor of what that was like? I can. Um, and in some ways, I feel like what I grew up in doesn't kind of exist anymore. Mm. You know, my, my experience was one of kind of relatively early immigrant-ish, like second generation. And on the East Coast, you know, we're close to Ellis Island, right? Like that's where people came in. So that immigrant experience was pretty alive for me. So yeah, so I think that's part of it. And where I come from in particular, New Jersey, <laughs> Philadelphia, you know, my, my team just won football. You know, we're sort of obsessed in this country. That's huge. Yeah. With, uh, football. And my team had never won and we're, you know, the underdogs. And, you know, there, there was a joke made during the, the parade. One of the players, you know, was just on national live TV, just throwing out F-bombs, you know, and everybody in Philadelphia is just cheering, you know, and that's, uh, we're scrappy, you know, we're, we're a little scrappy and we're, we're not, um, we're not super polished. And what was interesting about that is that I've always kind of hated that a little bit of where mm. I came from. Like I, I did a lot to not have the accent of where I live and to, yeah, you know, be able to come off a little bit classier than where I come from. And there was something about that moment, you know, when I watched that on TV and I, and I identified, I was like, God, those are my people, like better or worse, like it or not. Those are my people. That's where I come from. So it was an interesting moment of acceptance. Yeah, a cool moment. Yeah, I really yeah. relate to that. Like, uh, same thing with New Zealand. There's certain things about New Zealand that just like make me cringe. And sometimes when I'm overseas, I'll see some Kiwis doing something and I'm like, oh. But there is, there is something about connecting to that, whatever it is, the good, the bad, the ugly. Yeah. And when you can accept that, you can learn to sort of accept yourself. Yeah. Because that is you. That is your heritage. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It's it's been a journey for sure and of course, you know, now even more so, you know, I I sort of have a lot of feelings about just being American right now. Uh yeah. you know, that's also a, a big thing. And so I do feel like you have to embrace it before you can address it and fix it and, you know, speak solidly from a place, you know. So mm. if what's happening right now, which I think might be true is there's a need to reclaim the soul of where I come from. Uh, I can't do that unless I have my own, right? Mm. Yeah, well, tell me more about that because it's fascinating for us as outsiders. There's a lot of Americans listen to this. There's also mm. a lot of Kiwis listen to this. Right. So it's interesting for us as an outsider, watch what's going on in America and just you know, try to understand it from afar, not being in it. And you would have seen the full spectrum through your lifetime of you know the how we've got to this point, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I want to spare you some of the, you know, kind of political details, if you will, you know, the grit of it all. Uh, But I do think, I think some of us are trying to understand it as well. So, you know, it's interesting when you say, oh, we're looking from afar, trying to understand it. Well, we're in it, trying to understand it, right? It definitely feels unprecedented in some ways. And if I were to take a big step back, I would say, and you and I have had this conversation, right? I would say that there are so many ways that we have not come to terms with who we are, who we have been as a country. There's been a myth that's been created, but that myth has been built on top of, you know, a lot of pain, a lot of lies, a lot of 
you know, a lot of oppression, a lot of hurting of people. And if I was to take a really long view of it, I would say in some ways, you know, that the sins of our forefathers are, are coming to roost. And that maybe this falling apart that many of us are feeling is maybe a precursor to, to maybe resolving some of the things that weren't resolved mm. that led to this moment. Yeah, so it's not necessarily a bad thing. It feels painful. It, it, it feels painful. It feels frightening. I mean, I won't say it's, I, I, I don't know about good or bad, you know, and uh, I talk a lot about that in everything I do. We're, we're so on good, bad, black, white, left, right, that I think it obscures kind of what might really be happening. Yeah, well, you see a lot of, uh, you see a lot of passion come out at the moment from, from all angles, right? And I think that comes from mm-hmm. being a right and a wrong or a good and bad. That's where that passion is fueled from rather than just stepping back and going, wow, this is interesting what's playing out. What's my part in this? What, what can I do in this? You know, it's interesting because, you know, you asked me in the beginning about what do I do? And I say, well, you know, I instigate aliveness. And I think that one of the very noticeable things is that so many people have been sort of on autopilot, asleep, kind of numb for a really long time. And there is a kind of a call to, you got to wake up, you know, we can't autopilot our way through this. So, you know, I don't know what it's all going to look like. I've got my plan A, plan B. Uh, mm. I'm happy to have friends all around the world. <laughs> um you know, so we'll, we'll see. What do you see your part is? What, what's your part to play at the moment? Yeah, it's a, gosh, it's great. You, you know, it's, I talk about it with my daughters a lot. Like we have talked about this a lot. I, I came very close to, to leaving this country actually many times. I've been pulled by Canada, you know, many times. When I was in Canada, when we had Hurricane Katrina and I saw the coverage rather than from within the country, you know, you might have this too. It's like how things are covered when you're in your country can be different than when you're outside of it, right? That's an interesting way to learn about stuff. And I remember being really horrified and thinking to myself, do we even want to go back, you know, or, or should we just make the, the leap? But in this go-round, my daughters and I talked and, you know, my family heritage is part Jewish um, as well. And so there's definitely, you know, a lot of feeling with the way immigration is being handled and things like that. Like, wow, how safe is it here? And who is it safe for? And, you know, one of the things my daughters and I talked about is that we might feel an obligation to stay, you know, in that there are things about the way we look, who we are. I mean, you know, what if we could be instrumental in helping people that are more in the crosshairs, you know, of this administration, people of color, immigrants, that type of thing, you know, is so, yeah, we're, we're very much on the, and, but then we're also looking at where is the point where you got to cut and run to kind of save yourself, right? Where is the fact that, you know, my girls, that I have young girls and that it's really inhospitable for women in some really basic ways here right now and moving in that direction. So that's an ongoing conversation. Mm, that's fascinating. Well, thank you for talking about it because it's, you know, this is a snapshot in time. This podcast will be available for years, but this is just, <laughs> I like having a snapshot of what's going on right now because it's real. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it affects the whole world. How does it feel? Because when I go to America, there's a difference between like what you said, what I read on the news mm-hmm. and my experience day to day, which is completely different. You know, I don't experience a lot of the things like a lot of the headlines I don't experience, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, it's one person's tiny snapshot. But do you experience a lot of the stuff that you read about? Well, see, I think that's what's really fascinating. And I, and the role of social media is certainly new. I mean, not something, you know, that that's part of the unprecedented nature, you know, of it. If you look at social media, there's a way in which it all looks really contentious, you know, or you look at just the way that things are covered and you extrapolate and think, oh, it's all like that. And yet, you know, you walk around and it's like, we're getting along, you know, we're having conversations, we're, we're okay. There's a certain point where, you know, and yet that's not true for everyone, right? I mean, I'm worried about what are the things that are being kept from my view. Yeah. You know, I'm worried about what do the detention centers look like right now for immigrants. And, and of course, that's not something that is, that's being shown to me. That's not something I'm seeing, but in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm thinking what's going mm-hmm. on that I'm not seeing. So that's a great question to ask. What is being kept from me? Yes. What, what, what am I not seeing? What am I not seeing? Right. Sure. And you know, I'm, it's I'm a hard a, question to ask. Like it's easier to, 
not ask that question. It's much easier to not ask. And it's sometimes hard to find the answer. And a lot of people aren't willing to or don't want to see. You know, I'm, I'm a white woman. There's a lot that if I don't want to see, I don't have to see just because of the way the nature of race in this country. But I have to know that and I have to be vigilant and curious and, you know, ask the question and all of that. That's, that's incumbent on me. Mm, great insight. So I'm going to shift slightly again. Yeah. So this, uh, this month's theme is all about love, connection. Yeah. Sex. Uh, you know, you're the first person I thought of when I thought, who do I want to talk to about this? that's so exciting uh, yeah so (laughs) how did you get more into that world of exploring deeper you know love connection sex yeah it's so interesting right i'm I'm gonna give you a little bit of a timeline because we were just talking about race right Mm -hmm. and i spent about 25 30 years working more in what i would call kind of the social justice social awareness realm talking about things like race and if sex was talked about, it was talked more about like uh, gender or sexual orientation, kind of equality issues, right? And I thought at the time that those were like, I was in the heat of it, right? I like being <laughs> in the heat of conversations. I, I like being in kind of the narrows, right? Where things get a little tight and how do we make it through, right? Mm. Challenging conversations. And then I kind of had my own awakening. I was... Uh, coming up on 40, had a marriage that was going south. My kids were getting a little older. It was sort of a, a specific time in my life where I started to wake up to some of these, these things on a really personal level, you know, love, connection, sex, all of these things. And of course, because I am who I am, I start talking about them. I start talking yeah. about them with other people. And all of a sudden I realized... Deeper than most probably. Yeah. <laughs> Because I like that, right? And it was like, oh, this is some really heated stuff in here. Like, wow, people really don't talk about this. You know, this is, there was just, I was dropped into this much deeper level and I was surprised by that. So that was so sort really of driven from a personal experience. Totally driven from a personal experience. I mean, mm. so was the so were the earlier issues too. You know, uh, all yeah. of it was. And I, I think if most of us are honest. We end up doing the things and interested in the things in our life from you know a personal endeavor. You know, in some way. So, what did you learn from your divorce in that time? So much. Um, it's funny in the, the book that I just had come out in the forward, the preface, I say that I wrote the book that I could have used, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I couldn't have written that book 10, 12 years ago when things were coming apart. And I think, so it really taught me in many ways, I, you know, here's the funny thing. And I think we all do this. We get handed uh, certain patterns, things we get taught, we, ways of behaving, whatever it is, right? And we do one of two things. We either follow it, right? Well, it worked for them. It'll work for me, right? Or we rebel. Oh, I'm not going to do that. And so, of course, we're just always bouncing Hmm. back and forth, right? Uh, From thing to thing. And so, you know, my mother was married three times. My father, biological father was married three times. You know, just not a great track record in my family. And this was something I was really terrified about. But what was also true was like, I just, I didn't really know how good relationships went. Like that just wasn't, that wasn't part of my upbringing. I didn't get that download, you know? So uh, did you experience your marriage as one of connection, one of a, a connected? I, I mean, it was, we were married for 10 years. We have two children. I would not label it a failure. I think it's sad when people, uh, you know, if you didn't end up, doing the death do you part, then it's labeled as a failure. And I don't think that's really fair. But what I do know is that there were certain relationship patterns that I wasn't even aware of. And once I became aware of them, I certainly didn't know how to fix them because it was kind of all I knew. So, you know, I didn't actually mean for my marriage to end. I asked for a separation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, my my now ex heard divorce, you know, he, he wasn't down for doing 
kind of the work that needed to be done, you know, and, uh, and you can't force someone, you know, to, to do that kind of thing. Uh, so I think in many ways, it was the fact that he didn't want to do that work. And I didn't want to just like carry on in the next relationship the way I had done, you know, the last, I knew things needed to be healed. So that was, it can be a tendency kind of, well, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, certainly energetically. I mean, how many of us do, you know, do that? We look back and we say, geez, I've had the same relationship five times. It's just been with different people, yeah. <laughs> right? And you learn a little bit and then you go on to the next one and you say, oh yeah, okay, I'm going to fix that. But, you know, really. He said it too, like this flip-flopping of going, well, I had that in my last relationship, so I definitely don't want that. And right. then so you just end up going from back and forth between the exactly. extreme. That's the flip-flop, right? So I knew that, I wanted to heal those patterns, like really heal them and really understand them. And I knew that they were, they were much, much deeper. You know, the, the, the sexuality piece wasn't about that man and that marriage. That came from like my very conservative Catholic father telling me my genitals were dirty, you know, like, <laughs> come on, man, <laughs> it's that. that leaves a mark, you know? <laughs> um, so there was, and you know, I, I lost my virginity non-consensually when I was 14. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that there were pieces of that, that, you know, weren't healed. I mean, so I, I ended up on a really big journey. And I think the compelling thing for me was that I really quickly realized, and I think a lot of us do this, we, we get like, we think it's just us, right? Oh, it's just me. You know, nobody else does this. Nobody else is messed up in the ways I'm messed up, right? But because I'm someone who talks to people and I like having conversations and I'm always, if I learn something, then I'm turning around and teaching it to the next person. I'm like one of those, hey, did y'all know about this, right? You yeah, know? Uh, big revelation. Yeah, yeah. And that's just who I am. And so what I quickly realized was that it was not me and that it was something much bigger than just me, kind of more universal than just my little life, you know, my little trajectory. So that became even more compelling. You know, what was this thing that I tapped into? So that's yeah. been a driver. Yeah, that's a big driver. And so what did you learn? So what journey did you go on after that? And what did you learn? Uh, well, the sex piece was big. The sex piece was really big. That's good. I, I, let's talk I, about that. Let's talk about sex? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is a really big one, which is that as a woman, I had to take ownership of my sex. So what does that mean? Right. Mm. So I have some phrases that I really don't like. And one of them is, you know, he either can or can't make me have an orgasm, right? Um, and, and that's just one of many examples, right? We're always looking to our partner. And, you can, and it could be anything from make me orgasm to make me happy, the whole make me thing. Mm-hmm. And so there was definitely a place where I had to really own my desire my turn on, what did I want? And be able to start to say, you know, this is what I want. This is what I don't want. Uh, having a voice is a really big one. And I'll say for a lot of women, and you might also say for men, right? Being able to, you know, there's a lot for a lot of us, for me, especially there was a lot of shame that I had to confront and that I had to you know, cast off. So it was a lot of undoing little, little things that were implanted Mm -hmm. along the way. So that was a big one. That's a big one. Yeah. What are some of the examples? Like there was a great one, you know, about he can't make me orgasm, but how does it look to take responsibility? And is it, is it right to say that you need to primarily take care of your own desires sexually? Well, I think See, if you say that, people are going to think that we're telling them that they just have to masturbate, <laughs> right? And well, I mean more that more like even you know when you're having sex with somebody else, that is is your job to take care of your own desires, or is it to give yourself to the other person? Well, here's the scariest thing. The scariest thing is 
sharing your desires, right? So there's the one end of things. Why is it scary? Because it means telling the truth. That's one of the scariest things. Uh, I often say that when people get into relationship, whether they get married or just when they get kind of in, right? Uh, I talk about the silent vow that they take, not the one at the altar, the one that they don't say, <laughs> but they live, which is, I promise to never want more than I think you're willing to give me, right? You said it one more time? Yeah. I promise to never want more than I think you're willing to give me. Yeah. So this is a way that in relationship, we do it with the best of intentions. I don't want to admit that someone else turns me on or that I might want something in a different way. I don't want to make you feel bad, you know? Um, and a lot, there's a lot of dynamics between men and women. You know, if I make you feel bad, then, you know, you might not get an erection. So I'm sort of caring for your erection, right? I care for your erection by caring for your ego, mm. right? We think that. So uh, now this is... Ev- People can argue with these. I'm just giving sweeping generalizations at the moment. Or if I say I want something, I might stress you out because you think you have to provide this for me, right? So little by little, people start to make their wants and desires smaller or at least admit to less of them to their partner. Mm. And that's when it starts to become routine. Yeah. I know what I've got to do. You know what you've got to do. That's a big one. Yeah, we lose. So what I learned, you know, you said, oh, what did you learn? Curiosity mm-hmm. is a really big one. Uh, being playful. You know, we it, look at all the language that we use around sexuality. And again, I, you know, we have some differences. I don't know if this relation, if this uh, language no, it's perfect. translates, but uh, that whether you can perform or not, right? If a man has an erection, he can perform. If he doesn't, he can't, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that, uh, that you can because achieve. Because it's a performance. Because it's a performance, right? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, or that you can achieve orgasm. Orgasm is an achievement, right? <laughs> so it's not possible for us to, to not take that language, right? You and I know as people who work as coaches, right? What do we always say to clients? Language is powerful, mm. right? So look at the language that we use about this part of our lives. And probably the language that we use internally. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, uh, there's this idea that we, for women, it was always such a double bind too. You know, it's like, I want to be experienced enough to be quote unquote good in bed, but I don't want to seem too experienced because I don't want to <laughs> seem like I get, you know, like, right. I don't want to look yeah. like I know too much. And, <laughs> you know, so if I say there's this idea that, Men want sex more than women. And I know I'm, I'm sort of coming down on the man-woman thing um, yeah. at the moment, but that was my world. So this was a lot yeah. of what I was uh, uh, looking into. And, and so, you know, I came to find that that is, that is not true. <laughs> that is really not true. And I, I work a lot with, you know, work, work with both men and women. But when I do women's retreats and it's just women, what it is, is that we were often taught to use sex as a form of currency, right? And also uh, approval or disapproval. So something ends up getting caught up in there. A woman can't just have her desire. Her desire has to be attached to, did you take the trash out or not? You know, or are you making enough money or are you, right? All those things. So in being the gatekeepers of sex, which is often the role that is given to women, depending on, you know, how they were raised. We have to have criteria in order to sex with someone. Yeah. Um, And that criteria is not usually our desire. Desire is down the list somewhere. Yeah. And people are afraid, both men and women are afraid of desire. You know, we're, we're intrigued by it, right? But we're also afraid of it. You know, I often say that was a a big thing that I had to learn too, that desire is a fuel. And like any fuel, it's like, it does need to be respected. I mean, that's, um, sometimes I think people think I'm like this sexual liberation. Any form of freedom comes with responsibility and sexual freedom is no different. Mm. So you would say 
start getting curious if you want to, you know, I'm talking about if you want to improve your sex life or if you want to understand your sex life better, get curious, get curious at the language you use, get curious about when you have sex, the pressure that you put on yourself, where it comes from, mm-hmm. start, start that inquiry. Absolutely. Curiosity and, and playfulness. There is not enough play in the grown up world. Like we don't play enough. In and out of the bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, and it's so funny, this whole in and out of the bedroom thing. I often say that if, you, if you're keeping your orgasm in the bedroom, it's way too small. <laughs> uh, and what I mean by that is that our sexuality really is our life force energy. I mean, if you look at the body, if you look at it energetically, if you look at it, it's, it's not something that lives in a little compartment. Mm. Um, and so I think we that's one of the ways that we, we try to manage it and control it and put it away. And, you know, and I think we do that because we're afraid of the power of it in some ways. I think it's the shame piece as well. You know, there's a, a lot of us are very shameful about our desire. Absolutely. Yeah. So lock it up in a room. Yeah. And make yeah. sure no one hears you. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's, de- that's definitely, I think shame is, is one and also loss of control. That's a really big one. Mm. I always think it's so interesting that really what orgasm is, is a temporary loss of control. I mean, you can't really have an yeah. orgasm, right? It's Without surrender. that moment of surrender. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another really important piece that I learned. You know, um, one of the, I talk a lot in my practice about forms of protection. What are all the ways that we protect ourselves, right? And I think that men have certain ways of protection and and women have some, not saying there's no overlap, Hmm. right? But controlling, complaining, managing, these are often all forms of protection Hmm. that we use. Yeah, that was an aha moment for me just then when you said that because I realized that, you know, I, I come across a lot of controlling behavior, subtle and not so subtle in my work and just day to day family maybe. And uh, <laughs> that's interesting that desire is one of those things we can't control and maybe we can box it up as tightly as we can, but we can't control yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And so that becomes threatening. It does. It's so it's one of the reasons that people hold back, but here's the thing. See, this is what I get so fascinated by our bodies, if you look at us as a, like a system, right? Like that we're programmed in certain ways. I mean, we're, we're programmed with, you know, an orgasm response is, it's not like it's different for everybody. It's not like it's in my ear and it's in your, you know, finger, right? It's like we all have a, an orgasm response uh, in our genitals. And that's, you know, how that, how that goes. So if you look at it as a form, I call it like a code, right? Like a, like a source code. I often say that everything I needed to know, I learned from my orgasm. So I learned how to surrender in that place. And then that taught me how to surrender in other parts of my life. So, so vulnerability that, there. yeah, the vulnerability, the being open to someone, the letting myself be held, the, you know, all, all of that, the things, all of the things that were super challenging to me because of how I was raised, because of, you know, what my unique sort of imprint was of family and everything. I was able to change those patterns by studying my orgasm, my intimacy, my relationships. And then that expanded to other parts of my life. So that's, that's really the core of what I teach. So that's why when people say, oh, you know, oh, are you a sex coach or are you, no, are you a sex educator? No. <laughs> it's like a gateway to bigger things. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Let's talk about communication because you touched on it in a couple of places. And my mm. experience is when I try to talk about sex, I think I fuck it up. And I think I put a whole lot of pressure on it and it yeah. has the opposite effect of what I think it should have. Yeah. Well, what am I doing wrong? That's, that's an interesting, can I ask you a, a, a clarifying question on that? When you say when you try to talk about it, do you mean in a high sensation moment, like when you're actually in the moment trying to talk about it or just any time? Do you talk about no, it that's, casually? It's far too embarrassing to talk about it in the moment. But I, try, <laughs> I try to be a good boyfriend and I try to, 
you know, have conversations about sex and is this working for you? Do you, do you, would you like more? Would you like less? This is what I would like. And right. yeah. And it, it sometimes gets a bit weird. Perfect. A bit awkward. That's a, that's a great clarification. So if you look at some of the language that you just used, you're looking for, is it good, bad? Is it right, wrong? Right. Can I, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's all sort of performance oriented. So I talk about the language of sensation versus the language of judgment. So I'm going to give you an example of what I mean. Most of the ways that we talk is language of judgment. We have very little language for sensation. So let's say if I'm going to tickle you up your arm, you might say that feels good or you might say that feels bad, which tells me nothing. Mm about how it actually feels and what I'm doing, right? But if you were to say to me, when the tips of your fingers lightly brush against my skin, I feel this tingling sensation that shoots all the way up my arm. Whew. Do you feel the difference? Yeah, now I've got something. Now I've got something, right? And then I might say to you, um, and I, I call this the approval sandwich, right? Because the other thing we often do is we complain. Mm. Complain is, is a, it's a really big one. Um, so a good way to shut everything down. Yeah, absolutely. So I might say, oh, I'm really enjoying the, the tickling sensation of your fingertips along my arm. I would love a little bit more pressure, maybe with your nails into my skin. And then the person makes the adjustment and then thank you so much. And then you give them another snapshot of mm. how that feels, right? And I don't know if you can tell as I do it, but not only is there more sensation, but the intimacy goes through the roof because now the other person can feel what you're feeling. So now we're not just talking about sex, which is removed. We're actually, ha we're actually sharing a sensation with one mm. another. Yeah, we're connecting. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, I love that. It's great. Game changer. And it's, so it's sensation, not judgment. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I, uh, I run people through exercises with this and with one another, if I'm working with a couple and the other person uh, will have to raise their hand when they pick up on judgment language because we use it and don't even notice it. Right. All the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a great insight. I, I wouldn't have picked that at all. And let's talk about, I'm not getting enough sex. I want more sex. Let's talk about that, Nathan. <laughs> <laughs> that I think is that's, my reality that's, right that's, now. Yeah, yeah well, that's the one I hear the most of, whether you're in a relationship or not, is yeah. I'm not having sex. Right, right. Not having sex or I'm not having enough. Mm. So, so there's a few things about that. One is, I love this question of enough. Mm. Right? Like, what is enough? And we use that a lot in, right? What's enough money? What's enough free time? What's enough? So part not, of that- It's not exactly abundance, is it? It's just like, I just want to get enough. Right. Well, it's not only is it not of ab uh, abundance, but it's like, what's the criteria? Because sometimes people will- uh, you know, one person might be saying, well, I don't know, we're, we're only having sex three times a week, right? And somebody says, geez, we have sex three times a week. How much do you want? Yeah. Right? <laughs> so, so enough is going to be different for every person. And then there's also sort of the quantity versus the quality aspect, right? How deeply nourishing is your sex? Um, is it goal-oriented? Right, meaning like we just we go for the orgasm, and that's it. Um, which which is sometimes not. It, it can be a, a a stress reliever, maybe, or it can be a, a release, but it might not be really nourishing. So you know, are you having McDonald's sex, or are you having like five star Michelin sex? Right. Yeah, because once a week of the latter could be nourishing enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think there is something to be said for the, the solo relationship. And I joke a lot. I'm at a point in my life. I mean, I would, I would very much like sex with a 
a being. <laughs> that would be awesome. Ideally. That would be great. And, you know, here's what's gotten really interesting for me. My time with myself is really satisfying. Like it's really nourishing. And I think that sometimes our solo time we, we use is almost just like a little escape valve and people, you know, they use porn and they just kind of get off and that kind of thing. And, and that is also not very satisfying. So there is a way often, even if partners are not on the same page and it's, look, it's challenging for two people to want the same thing at the same time, right? That's, that's not always going to happen in even the best relationships. So can we not put it all on our partner? Mm to satisfy us and have our, our solo time be sensual as well as sexual, for example, you know, can like you, can you really, so, you know, my bar now for a partner, (laughs) like I've been told is a high bar, but like it has to be at least as good as the time I have with myself and the time I have with myself is really good. Pretty good. Mm. Right. So, so I, I think there's, um, there's a lot of ways to bring oneself to that question of enough. What do you do if you're not feeling enough? Yeah, quality, quantity, what's my part in it? How much am I taking care of myself? Yeah. 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 And sometimes partners too, it's like, is there a way where you can be with each other? It's like, it doesn't have to be. And I, you know, I, I love, I'm talking to you, right? As a, as a gay man, like, like in heterosexual culture, we get really hung up on, uh, you know, we don't call it sex until it gets to to penetration, right? And that's, you know, when you come out of kind of heterosexual world, people look at us like there's a lot more going on than that, right? So how are you with one another? Like, does right, does everybody have to get off for you to call it sex? Are you willing to, you know, are you willing to, to just witness your partner? Are you willing to be there with them in some kind of a way? You know, are you willing to sometimes... Uh, just be there for what the other person needs without it crossing a boundary of yours. Well, can you give everybody permission to not have an orgasm every time? Oh, yes. I here. I am the permission fairy. <laughs> That's so important. And well, there is an interesting thing as far as men and women are concerned in terms of just their biological. We have this idea that everybody's body works the same way, right? And that you have this uh, leading up to a climax and then you have, mm. you know, climax and then you have the, but our bodies the actually, the sleeping portion. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But our bodies, first of all, work differently than one another biologically. And also our bodies work differently over time. So there is, there is some belief that like Taoists, for example, that men as they age should actually ejaculate less and orgasm less. And then women should be orgasming more. (laughs) Sorry, but that's how that goes. Mm. Uh, For a couple of reasons. One is that for men, you actually can separate your orgasm from your ejaculation. Takes some doing. But that's actually healthier for you as you age because, you know, because you do, you know, have the ejaculate that's a, that's a losing of sort of life force energy. Like, you know, how like men often get tired. There's that sleeping thing and Mm. women often get more energized. That's because of the difference in the impact of orgasm on our systems. Now, the thing about that is that people can start to plug into one another's system. So you can sort of not be having an orgasm and be sexual without climaxing. And that can go on for days. I mean, I I have some clients that are, you know, they play a little bit every day in some kind of sensual or sexual realm, uh, but he might only have an actual, you know, ejaculation once every couple of weeks, you know, and he's in his uh, early seventies and his wife is in her sixties. Right. So, so I think we have to really expand this idea of what sex is or, or what it means. It's really broad. Mm. Yeah, it really is. And it becomes yeah. so narrow. Yeah, we, we make it really narrow. Yeah, yeah, we make it. Let's talk about uh, monogamy and polyamory. Sure. Where do you personally, where, where have you come down on this with all talking to a lot of different people and doing your own work? Um, Is there a place for it? I mean, it's certainly, I would suggest, more common in my community to have open relationships. Yeah. 
It's a great question. I don't know that I come down anywhere, to be honest. Um, I've run the gamut myself. My marriage was monogamous. I didn't know there was anything else at that time, really. Anything else? A lot of people. Yeah, anything else I called cheating. I didn't really know. And then after part of the exploration was they then came in contact with other ways of relating, open relating, you know, polyamorous relating. So for me, again, this comes down to, I find different things work at different times for different people, right? For, for those years, I learned so much from open relating. Like I really, I learned a lot from experiencing jealousy. You know, we often try to avoid jealousy. Like that's the worst, you know, of all the feelings we don't want to feel. Yeah. Uh, jealousy is the one that will organize our lives around not having to feel that. <laughs> and so yet true. what I discovered is that jealousy is, is actually a window into desire, a really important window into desire. You know, the whole, I'll have what she's having, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I found that open relating helped me tremendously with some of those relationship patterns that I was trying to address. Now I'm coming to a place where I'm coming back around to being interested in monogamy, but from a very different place, not because it was just handed to me as like the thing, but, but I'm getting this sense that there's a depth in there, right? So I'm, I'm going, and, and I'm, I'm saying all this because I think we don't talk about life cycles as it relates to our sex and relating very much at all. Like that's just not a conversation and it's mm-hmm. such an important one. So there's this myth that as women get older, you know, and we have go through menopause that we lose our desire. What I'm finding for myself, and this will come back to your question in a second, is that there was a time in my life where it was kind of like the California wildfires that we just saw, right? It was <laughs> light a match, any match, you know, <laughs> and it's off, off the charts. Uh, and my feeling now is, is that it's more like that molten core of the earth. Like it's that kind of heat, both very hot, but very different. Mm. So to me, that is what's informing some of my desires around what do I want my relationship structure to look like? Well, is it nice to still now have the option? Does that give you a certain sense of, uh, I don't know what the word is, just reassurance that you know how to do open, you know how to do polyamory. It's there if I need it. If that's something I desire, I know how to do that. But for now, monogamy feels right. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's one of the reasons why I discourage people from labels. You know, we're so into our identities and our labels and I, and I understand them to a certain point, right? And, and uh, I mean, you might want to weigh on, in on this, right? It was probably important for you at a point in your life to be out as a gay man. Like that's, so I'm not taking that away, right? But what I'm saying is that sometimes we allow our identities and labels to become as much of a prison as, as it is to not be able to claim them. Right. Mm. So, you know, can, yeah. So can we just say like, Oh, let the relationship tell me what it wants or let this time in my life tell me what's the right relationship. Yeah. Let it guide it. Yeah. How does sex relate to, I feel like I'm just like, I've got you under examination. (laughs) Yeah, I just just love talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. You're so open about it and it's so so easy. But one thing I'm intrigued about is is how sex actually plays into, say, spirituality in in my life. And like, you know, just I guess that sort of Anglo-Christian upbringing, Mm -hmm. they're very Mm -hmm. simple. You know, you have your spirituality and sex is a dirty thing that you do occasionally <laughs> behind closed doors and maybe if you want to reproduce. <laughs> the more I go through life, the more I feel that how intertwined my spirituality and my sexual connection is. Yeah, yeah. That was in many ways when I went down the rabbit hole of this exploration. That's the place that I got to that was probably the most surprising. Uh, was the connection between God, God or source or whatever, and sex, that, that they're not separate at all. But I came to realize for myself personally, at least, that, that sex is actually the gateway 
to a richer, deeper sense of spirit. And I felt very betrayed by that, meaning betrayed by sort of the religious upbringing that kept trying to pull those things apart. Yeah, they could get it so wrong. Yeah, and you know, there's a whole there's a whole sort of diatribe that I could totally, go on yeah. about that, of course, which I'll spare you and your listeners at the moment, unless yeah, you know, unless at some point that makes sense. But I feel as though it it's it robs us of a really a really important connection to to spirit and to one another, you know, that I think you know. I've often joked and, and, and said that it, it comes up at the most unlikely times, right? It's like sometimes people, they want to set out to have spiritual sex, you know, and so they're going to do eye gazing and tantric things and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And and I don't know, sometimes I, I've just stumbled backwards onto the most spiritual moments, you know? I mean, uh, you know, call me a dirty little whore and all of a sudden I'm seeing God. I mean, I can't explain. <laughs> That's going to be the title of this episode. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I I ended up uh, doing a one-woman show about this very topic, and I called the show The Song of the Sacred War because I grew up with my very Catholic father calling my mother a whore and telling me that I was at risk, you know, for being like my mother in that way. And I didn't even know what that – I didn't – know what that meant. Uh, I just knew it wasn't good. And, um, you know, so we've come such a long way in one generation. Yeah. Well, we have, we haven't, we haven't, you know, here, at least in this country, we've got this whole wave of of, uh, evangelical Christianity. That's, that's actually still has all that same, you know, belief to it. It's unfortunate, but it's uh, so, yeah, it's still very confronting for some people to say that there is something, um, you know, spiritual about our, our sex. Yeah. Yeah. That's very cool. Thank you for touching on that. Your book, uh, play wild, stay safe. Yeah. We've touched on it a few times and who's it for? Yeah. You should read it. Uh, I really wrote it to be a, a mainstream book. Um, so it has beautiful photos in it, but they're all very tasteful (laughs) and it's, and it really introduces a lot of these topics that we're touching on, you know, communication, being curious, being playful. Uh, it's written in really simple, direct language. So I wanted it to be super accessible, but I also wanted it to, to introduce some new and edgy topics, you know, so, uh, so, you know, we talk about things like, uh, safe words and, and, you know, things that might be considered a little bit more experimental, you know, playing with, uh, um, you know, sensation deprivation, putting on blindfolds, you know, some of these things that might be considered outside of the box for some people. And, you know, so it's all in there. I love it. Was there anything in there that you think you thought, I'm not sure how this is going to land with people. I'm a little bit nervous about putting this out there. You know, it's interesting. Well, I did put a poem of my own in there, just one, because I am a poet. That's one of, and I didn't put very, but I had to put one in there, and that one's a little bit racy. Uh, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's funny. There's exercises in the back. There's like twelve exercises that that couples can do. Um, the one that's been the most confronting to people is is the very last one, and it's called "Be a Sacred Witness." And the exercise is allowing your partner to watch you, but not as like a, like in a very sacred way, you know, to, to watch you be with yourself basically and without touching and without, you know, like really just witnessing. And that's been the one Mm. that people have found the most confronting when they've gone through the book. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's the intimacy. It's, it, you know, we think it's about the sex and it's not. It's about the intimacy. Well, I think people don't realize how much of a lack of intimacy there is. So it's hard to understand something that you don't know, you don't have. Yeah. I talk a lot about high sensation moments and that's, that's a lot of 
what the book addresses is because when we get into what, you know, what is a high sensation moment, that's when we get all tongue tied and we don't know what we're doing. And, you know, we can't speak in full sentences and <laughs> check out, right. And all this kind of stuff. And, and it's so part of it is expanding our capacity to stay present and connected with each other in those high sensation moments. And things get really good when you can start to do that mm. with one another. But it also... Uncomfortable goes, to start with. Yeah. And then go. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, then really exactly. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then you just can't do it any other way. <laughs> Amazing. And um, we'll put a link to the book. So, you know, I want as many people to get it as possible. Yeah, yeah. And how do people work with you? And how do you work with people? And where do people find you? Yeah, so uh, you can find me at my website, monicaday.com. And I work with people a lot of different ways. I have workshops and retreats uh, that I give. So that's a good way for people to get a dose of me. But I also have private clients, both individuals and couples, and I work with them one-on-one like this. You know, I do a lot of this because uh, my clients are all over the world. And uh, and then sometimes I do private intensives. So just one-on-one, come hang out with me somewhere for a weekend and we dive in really deep. So I have a whole range. Yeah, so exciting. I hope lots of people take you up on that because it's such powerful work. Such yeah, powerful so work. Too. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, this is really fun. Yeah, it's awesome. The, the last question I ask everybody, the question is around the dark side. You know, what is your dark side? Maybe even how do you relate to a dark side and how do you embrace the darker side of yourself? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. I think I would have, there was a day I would have answered that by just telling you my kinkiest fantasy. Uh, but I don't, I've come to really think that that's not exactly dark. You know, that's just sort of, that's sort of taboo. I think the dark, the darker side for me has been uh, engaging with anger in a powerful way. And, uh, and allowing, here's the way I'll, here's the way I'll explain it to you. I was really angry once and a lover of mine, person I was with at the time looked at me and he said, wow, you're really turned on right now. And yeah. (laughs) And I had to realize that my, uh, my anger, my, you know, Kali, if you know, the goddess Kali, right. The, the destroyer, like, like I am a creator. And I am also a destroyer. And I have to know when it's the right situation to let that destructive side like be a healing and cleansing kind of destruction versus, right, not always wanting to, I want to create, I want to create, I want to create. It's like, no, sometimes you got to raise the damn field. And am I wise enough to know when to pull that energy out? Mm, yeah, I love that. So it's anger, destruction is acknowledging that that's a part of you as much as creation. Yeah. And not being afraid. I think the biggest thing is like not being afraid of that and keeping that down and keeping it back, but recognizing like sometimes that's as important as, you know, creating. When you, you know, said it, it you, your, their partner said, you know, you're really turned on right now. So is it a, a way for you to embrace it as in the bedroom? Oh, definitely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Angry sex. Oh, are you kidding? Hot hate sex is the best. <laughs> I will say that's that's probably one of the reasons my marriage didn't make it is that we didn't fight and we didn't have makeup sex. Right. Yeah. 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 Super There's no outlet for that dark side. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, right. No healthy way to really be with each other through that. Yeah. Well, you've made me blush more times than anybody else. <laughs> I'm hoping this light that I have on my face is hiding. <laughs> it's funny because I was Good looking face. at you and I was like, oh, he looks like so nice and warm. Yeah. And I look I'm oh, like I'm all warm. ground out. I'm warm. <laughs> Very warm. <laughs> I challenge you next topic. time. Next time we're not on a screen. We're just yeah. sitting having coffee. I challenge you to have the same conversation with me. Oh, I accept. I 100% accept. <laughs> awesome. Monica, thank you. This has been such a pleasure. I hope people get a lot out of this because it's, uh, yeah, it's beautiful to have these conversations. And I hope it, it stimulates people to have these conversations in their own lives, friends, family, coaches, partners, hopefully. 
Absolutely. I would love that too. And I just want to invite anybody who was intrigued, just be in touch with me. It doesn't mean we have to work together. We can have a conversation. Let's just see where it goes. Absolutely. I love this stuff. Thank you, Monica. Big love. Thanks, Nathan. Great. There you have it, folks, my conversation with the wonderful Monica Day. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Uh, check out Monica's book. It's available everywhere. Amazon, Book Depository, Play Wild, Stay Safe. And you can check out Monica at her website, monicaday.com. Thanks for joining us. If you love the episode, share it around all over the internet, Facebook, show some love, and we can keep growing this little movement that we've created together. Thanks, guys. I'll be back next week for episode 54 of The Nathan Seawood Show. That was The Nathan Seawood Show, inspiring you to live an extraordinary life. This episode has been brought to you by my friends at Unsettled. Unsettled is a 30-day co-working retreat experience for entrepreneurs, creatives, freelancers, and folks going through intentional transitions. They have incredible retreats all around the world, Portugal, Bali, Colombia, Nicaragua, just to name a few. I did Medellin in Colombia last year. Blew my mind. A great bunch of people there. Lots of really cool local experiences. Beautiful office to work from. A lovely apartment. They organize it all, guys. So go to beunsettled.co slash Nathan, and I'm going to get $100 off your first trip. So do yourself a favor. Check out beunsettled.co slash Nathan and prepare for one of the best months of your life.